You are entering the Freedom Hut. There are some Republican Senate defections against Trump's declaration of a national emergency at the border. I guess some Republicans are tired of winning. We'll talk about what that means going forward for our border security, plus all the latest on that incredible scandal and the various scams that people are using to get into college. That plus Beto. He's in the race. He totally wants to win. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Are there any senators wishing to change their vote? If not, the yeas are 59. The nays are 41. The joint resolution is passed. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Republicans apparently don't like to win. Republicans think that it's more important to preen and to lecture and to feel like they really, really are the the righteous ones instead of dealing with what is a true crisis at the border and backing up a president who's trying to do something about the border. Now, this resolution is not going to go anywhere. Uh, The Senate, with its 59 to 41 vote, cannot get together the uh, two-thirds majority needed for it to be veto-proof. But it is disheartening that there are GOP defections on an issue like this where all the Democrats are doing is lining up and saying Trump wants it? No. Trump wants to do something about the border? No. They will not let Trump get his way. They will not give Trump a victory. They don't care that the border is an absolute mess right now. And that's not my opinion. That is from Border Patrol, that is from Immigration Customs Enforcement. They are overwhelmed and overrun. They don't have the resources. They don't have the tools and the laws in place to effectively handle the situation. Unless you think that having an open border is great, then then it's fine. Then it's fine. Then there's no problem at all. These Republicans who did this, I have to say, it's just a reminder that there is this impulse in the GOP and among some of the most well-known names in the GOP, there's this impulse to just lose with dignity. That's their preference always. Lose, but know that you are adhering to your constitutional principles. I don't even, I don't even think that there's any circumstance any circumstance where some of these Republicans uh, would have come along with President Trump on this issue just because they like the idea. They like the idea of showing that they'll stand up against him on something. This was all about them. This is not about what's best for the country, and it is a disgrace what has happened here. It's a disgrace. You have Mitt Romney, when he's not picking up candles and blowing them out on his cake one by one, which if you haven't seen it, Mitt Romney does 
does in fact blow candles out like a cyborg on a birthday cake. I am Mitt Romney. I am blowing out candles on a cake. Uh, he spoke about why he was not supportive of Trump on this issue of the national emergency. Play 27. I'm going to be voting in favor of the resolution of disapproval. Uh, for me, this is a constitutional question. It's a question about the balance of power that is core to our Constitution. This is not about the president or about border security. In fact, I support border security. I support the construction of a border barrier. What about rule of law, Mitt? Do you support rule of law? Has a court struck down the statute that's been around for decades? that allows the president of the United States to, in a situation that is an emergency, and the border is an emergency. The Democrats lied and lied and lied about that until they got their way with the budget, but now they can't lie anymore, or at least they can't lie without looking like morons because the border is clearly an emergency. It's going to be 100,000 people at the border this month, folks. I'm going to go down there with my own eyes and see it if I can. 100,000 people coming into the country in one month illegally. Okay, that's a good-sized U.S. city. But it's not a crisis. It's not an emergency. There's a statute that says the president can do this. The president acted under that statute. Congress passed that law. They have not repealed that law. A court has not struck down that law. What is this, oh, you can't do this? Why? President Trump understands this better than some of the most sanctimonious members of the Republican Senate. Play clip 25. I think anybody going against border security, drug trafficking, human trafficking, that's a bad vote. Uh, the Democrats are for open borders. They're for crime. I mean, frankly, they're for crime. These people can tell you that better than anyone. When you have open borders, when you don't have a walls, I guess they think it's good politically. I think it happens to be bad politically. I think it's an 80% issue and maybe more than that. But the Democrats... In order to make things difficult, they are for open borders and they're for crime. And the Republicans aren't. But I told Republican senators, vote any way you want. Vote how you feel good. But I think it's bad for a Republican senator. I also think it's bad for a Democrat senator to vote against border security and to vote against the wall. I think if they vote that way, it's a very bad thing for them long into the future. I think he's right. But clearly some Republicans did not agree. They decided that they were going to break with the president on this issue. And look, this doesn't it doesn't really do anything. It's a resolution of approval or disapproval or whatever. Disapproval of what the president's done doesn't do anything. However, what this does show is that there are Republicans who still. Republicans who still decide that they choose their own sense of their political importance over the agenda and over the interests of the nation. There are Republicans that would rather have nice things written about them for a day in the New York Times and Politico and these places, you know, well, this this Republican clearly is standing up for constitutional principles. So let's give him a little pat on the head before tomorrow we call him a racist and a sexist and a monster again. There are some Republicans who can't help it. They're so driven by ego that what matters most is that good day of press. It doesn't matter the border's a mess. I kept hearing this explanation that 
well, Republicans shouldn't do this and Trump shouldn't do this because it'll set a precedent for Democrats. Democrats don't care what the precedent is. Look what Obama did with DACA. How many times he went on TV? I don't have the authority. I can't do it. I can't do it. Oh, it turns out I can do it because Congress won't. I'll go around Congress, pen and a phone. You know, Obama just did it. You know, they, they could try to have a national emergency on guns and seize our guns. That would be a very, very, very bad idea. They could try to declare a national emergency on climate change. You see, the funny thing about climate change, though, is that they never want to have to actually live under the policies that they think they want to pass. So that'll all crumble. The complete infeasibility of their climate change emergency would become apparent rather quickly. But also just, you know, why is it that Democrats win elections and then Democrats get policy that they want? Republicans win elections and we can't seem to get it done other than tax cuts, folks. You know, we, we got our tax cut. Yeah, that's nice. You know, it's not going to be as nice when a Democrat president takes control, a far left one at that, most likely. And the tax rate just goes up a bunch. Taxes are going to go up across the board. That's what they want to do. So so the tax cut is always a tax cuts are always temporary. They can say they make them permanent, but they're always temporary. Taxes are for the here and now. Border policy, health care legislation. Maybe it's not forever, but at least there's some structure in place and it has long, long-term ramifications. And this is just nonsense from these Republicans. It, re- it really is. It really is. I, I don't even understand what, they th- what, what point do they think they are proving here by going against the president on this. Who do they think they're helping by doing this? They think they're establishing... The Democrats don't give up crap about the constitution they don't give a, they don't care about separation of powers you've got the most prominent liberal papers and you know they want to get rid of the electoral college they want just a the popular vote to be the only you know they're they'll pull apart everything in the constitution or our structure of federalism they don't care and so this is you know it's like we want the democrats to like us oh maybe if we do this they'll like us Maybe if we show we really care about the Constitution, they'll want to be our friends. No. They'll want to kick us in the face and then kick sand in our eyes and laugh at us and then go do what they want to do. You'll notice, was there ever a moment in eight years of Obama pushing disastrous policy on the country? Obamacare, amnesty, cap and trade, climate change, all all this nonsense. Was there ever a time where there were, where there were major Democrat defections? Oh, you know, we, we just, you know, uh, Obama's basically pushing socialism here and we just can't go along with that. Are you kidding me? Never happens. Why is it that Democrats can be on board to get what they want, but Republicans always have to have this, this little purity contest? You know, it's like, it's like they're all auditioning for the role of, you know, the, the, the founding father of today, the, the one that really gets the Constitution, the one that really has his finger on the pulse of what Thomas Jefferson would have thought of this. How about actually following through on policy? You know, and and I know that you could say, Buck, but this is going to go into the courts and, okay, fine, but so what's with the Republican defections? Why why the grandstanding? You know, why why pull a, you know, you see what's going on, why do this? It just also shows the Democrats that it's still easy to fracture Republicans. 
still easy to get them to abandon um, uh, uh, abandon each other on the field of battle because, you know, they want to play by the rules. You know, oh, that's great. Well, I hope that makes them, you know, feel safe and warm at night. But in the meantime, the president's trying to deal with a massive crisis on our border. He's trying to fulfill a campaign promise that was the central campaign promise he made in 2016. And he can't even count on the Republicans in the Senate to have his back. It's all really sensitive. I know he said, he said, you know, vote however you want, do whatever you want, fine, but this shows us why even when we win as Republicans, we lose. And I am sick of it. I really am. We got a lot more. Uh, speaking of even when you, how about even when you lose, you win? As in Beto. Oh my gosh, are you guys like going to spend some time with me on the radio so I can ride into my skateboard and I'm just like going to make pancakes with my kids and the media is going to fall in love with me and I'm going to be president and it's going to be so amazing. I'm going to play my acoustic guitar in the corner and drink some Zima because I'm a child of the 80s. Beto, baby. We're going to talk about him. He threw his hat in the ring today. Oh, yeah. We'll be right back. The president is literally using powers granted by Congress to enforce laws passed by Congress. This is well within his constitutional duty, and Congress is still unhappy for some reason. Make no mistake, this vote today, if they oppose the president, that they stand in opposition to the American people, to American communities, and to safety and security. Our questions are not especially difficult ones to answer. The president is operating within existing law, and the crisis on our border is all too real. So, I will vote to support the president's decision later today, and I would encourage our colleagues to do the same. Mitch McConnell gets it. Why can't other Republican senators get it? The president's acting within existing law. And also, what a, what a strange place to really draw this line. With all the executive overreach, that the real executive overreach that happens now on a regular basis, with, with Congress ceding so much of its authority to the executive branch because they don't want to take the political risks of having to make real decisions. So just let the president make those real decisions. This area, this is the place, building a fence, this is what they're so worried about? That's where they're going to take a stand? You know, this is where the government can't spend money? I think the estimates are that we spend and and we lose $80 billion a year in Medicare and Medicaid fraud. I think that's right. I hope it's not 80 million because that would be very, very different. But we spend a lot of money uh, on that issue alone, lose a lot of money. You're going to tell me that we can't actually handle building a fence at our southern border? You're going to tell me that this is some area where, you know, I'm sorry, yeah, I was close. 60 to 70 billion. I was close. 60 to 70. I just want to make sure I wasn't giving you a crazy number there because I, I like to get the numbers right here. That's right. So we're lo- let's call it 60. We're losing $60 billion a year, folks, to Medicare and Medicaid fraud. People stealing from the government. And we don't have 3 or $4 billion to build a wall and facilities at our border that will prevent this continued invasion of illegals and inadmissibles. 
We, we, we just, we, we don't, th- this is where Congress, you know what it really is, folks? They're just not on board with this. Republicans, some of them are on board, a lot of them aren't. They don't want to say it. They don't have the, they don't have the decency and the integrity and the honor to say it. No, instead, they'd rather just pretend to go, they, they go along with Trump when it's good for them, but when it comes to taking a, a tough vote, they, they've got nothing. They don't want to do it. They don't want to uh, be in a position where they could be held to account later on. Oh, or they could just listen to Chuck Schumer on this one. Play 29. The framers gave Congress the power of the purse in Article I of the Constitution. It's probably our greatest power. And now the president is claiming that power for himself under a guise of an emergency declaration to get around a Congress that repeatedly would not authorize his demand for a border wall. Repeatedly would not authorize a border wall. Okay. Uh, you guys remember Obamacare, right? Still a thing, unfortunately. They just decided to change that law in real time. The executive branch, the Obama administration, they just they would just change aspects of the law. Where Where was... Mr. Constitution Chuck Schumer then. When the President of the United States, when it was Obama, decided that deferred action for childhood arrivals, which is not in the law, which he has no right to do, when he would just say, oh, well, my discretion, we're going to use prosecutorial discretion. So that will then be expanded into, we promise we won't actually enforce the law against you and you get to stay wherever you are in the country. That was that was utterly lawless. Where were Democrats in that? Oh, well, they thought it was the right thing to do. You see, when Democrats want to get something done, they figure out a way to self-justify it. When Republicans have the right to do a thing, but Democrats make enough noise about it, they back off and they wimp out. Look, it's going to the courts either way. And I, I know it's it, but the symbolism here is troubling. Trump does not have a unified Republican Party behind him to get the things done that he has to get done. And we're heading into an election year. Things are going to get tough. They're going to get ugly. And there are a lot of Republicans that are looking to tuck tail and run. You're going to need a plea. Uh, Let me know if you want me to formally read the indictment. You have the option of having me read it or you can waive reading. Now I need a plea of guilty or not guilty. Your Honor, we waive formal reading of the indictment and Mr. Smollett enters a plea of not Not guilty. guilty. Thank you. Jussie Smollett in court saying not guilty. Now, my expectation would be that he ends up trying to negotiate some kind of a plea bargain. But I think he's got to go to jail. I think think he's got to go to prison for this. Um, Not for a very long time, but he should serve some time. You know, the law has to have meaning. I mean, what he did was reckless. It was willful, it was premeditated, and it also pulled at some of the sensitive strings in this country. You know, it pulled at some of those areas where if you are being reckless, if you're being disingenuous, um, you can do a lot of damage to how people view each other, to how we all get along. You know, he effectively defamed millions and millions of Trump voters, and he did it for his own advancement, his own need for attention, 
and lied and lied and lied about it. How is it that the mainstream media was not able to see this? How is it that they did that, what was it, Robin Roberts interview where he was treated as somebody who was just telling his story instead of somebody who really should have been pushed on the facts and there should have been an effort made to get to the truth, but they just didn't care about that really. They believed the story because they always believed the story because the narrative of a racist America that is overrun with these mean MAGA hat wearing Trump supporters that carry nooses in their back pockets and hate people because of their skin color or their ethnicity. Liberals, unfortunately, believe that lunacy. That's, for me, in many ways, the, the, the most troubling takeaway. Yes, the media's dishonesty here and, and also ineptitude. I mean, they're not very smart. A lot of people that work in the media are not very smart, which is why they're so insecure and why they are so uh, nasty and also why groupthink appeals to them so much because they want the other important media people to like them and to give them jobs. So they all want to think the same thing, say the same thing. Herd mentality in the mainstream media. They all want to stay as a part of the herd. But the other part of this that we have to remember is that what Jussie Smollett tells us is that even after hoaxes like the UVA gang rape hoax and the Duke lacrosse hoax and the woman who said she was attacked on a, on a subway and her hijab was smacked off by somebody with a MAGA hat total hoax, I mean, with all these hoaxes that happen, the, the majority of the media and, and much of the left and I go back and forth between disdain for the left and feeling sorry for them. Disdain because the true believers in the left tend to be very nasty people. Uh, they tend to lack honor and mercy and dignity. I mean, this is just my, this is in my experience. Not all of them, but a lot of them. I mean, the true believers in the left are people who are whacked out and are somewhat disconnected from the humanity of the people around them because it's all theoretical. It's all about the collective. You know, they, they can't be nice to people that they're dealing with in a day-to-day -day sense because they're so busy trying to save the world from climate change. And the climate change efforts they're engaging in excuse their nasty behavior. I mean, just spend, spend five minutes online on Twitter and see how the left acts. See how they respond to uh, good faith thought, good faith engagement. They just... It, it's disgusting. They turn it into a cesspool in a matter of seconds. And I mean, you know, journalists on the left, too. I'm not just talking about randos. But they really believed that this happened to Jesse Smollett because that's what they think of Trump supporters. You have to remember that. The only way you could be so foolish as to buy into this narrative is if you think that this is really where the country is and that's really how Trump supporters are. And it's, it's troubling, but I think it's better for us to know the truth about this than to keep walking around thinking that maybe, you know, maybe the left isn't as insane as Buck Sexton tells us they are. No, trust me, they are. They are that insane. I'm not, I'm not just trying to get you all fired up over this. They are nuts. Um, so anyway, just, just a quick update there on Smollett for you. I did uh, speak this week. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. Ham, I am, said Sam. I am, or whatever. You know what I mean. Green eggs and ham. 
I, I did speak this week to some folks in the government, I won't say where, about the Mueller probe and the reality of the Mueller probe, which is that it keeps getting pushed back. They, they are supposed to, because I told you a few weeks ago, I, I had a good authority, it was going to end. Now we're told March, but we have been told February. And if, if I'm a betting man, I think this thing drags on at least into April, if not into May, based on the on the delays that we're hearing about it. And I, I think that part of this, I do think that part of this is because the left needs to, there's an administrative component, no question. They're trying to wrap things up and they got questions and what, the, what are they going to release and but there, there's an administrative question here, but there's also the need for the DOJ, the, uh, the bureaucracy, and the left within it to try to find cover. Because this is going to be a real moment in American history when this report comes out and I'm, there's, there's nothing in it that's going to... The, the collusion delusion squad is going to look absolutely out of their minds which we all have known all along they, they would, but now we're going to have real hard proof of this. Um, at least, well, what they'll say is the absence of proof is not, you know, the absence of evidence is not evidence. That's what they'll be telling us. But anybody who's being sane and normal is going to understand that this is not what they were promising was going to happen. This is not what, this is not the Russia collusion that they had been talking about now for two years, endlessly, endlessly. Um, Adam Schiff, you're going to hear a lot of him in the days ahead. He, he was confronted about the absence of collusion. Here is what Shifty Schiff had to say. Six. All along and, and uh, beginning two years ago, as you point out, until the present date, is there is ample evidence of collusion. But whether that evidence amounts to proof beyond a reasonable doubt of criminal conspiracy, we would have to wait for Bob Mueller to determine. That is still very much my view. The best evidence of the, the president's complicity as a general matter is the fact that he has been so deceptive uh, about all of these contacts uh, time after time. If there's insufficient evidence uh, in the Mueller report uh, and we're not able to produce sufficient evidence in our own investigation, that ends the inquiry, there may be grounds for removal from office or there may be grounds for indictment after he leaves office that the Congress discovers. Uh, one of the issues that we're looking at, which the Mueller report may not cover, mm -hmm. is whether the Russians were laundering money through the Trump organization. Uh, our predominant concern in my committee is, was this president, is this president compromised by a foreign power? I mean, this guy is is sick. He's really got a problem. I mean, maybe he understands that everything he's saying is a lie. It's dishonest. It's disgusting. But you just hear how he just switches all over the place. Now he's talking about money laundering for the president. What? Where did, where did this come from? You know how you can tell that Adam Schiff is lying? His lips are moving. No, no, I'm just kidding. You know how you can tell Adam Schiff is lying? Uh, because... Based on his approach to Russia collusion and, and what's going on with the Mueller probe, it, it is never a possibility that the president is innocent. It's never a possibility with the way that he constructs this narrative that it didn't happen. It's always just it needs it needs more investigation. We need more information. There had to be collusion. We just haven't found it yet. He said there and, and he was being serious that maybe the Congress 
the Congress will be able to find Russia collusion with Trump that the special counsel was not able to find. My friends, I'm amazed that some members of Congress can tie their shoes in the morning and find a bathroom. Congress is not going to find anything that the Mueller probe did not find about Russia collusion. Now, they may find Trump's business dealings, you know, things that they may find Trump's third grade report card where it was said that he was very, very naughty. You know, they may find some stuff and that's what they're going to do. They're going to just look for everything and dig through everything. They are going to turn the Congress and the investigative and oversight powers of the United States Congress into an ongoing oppo research machine to feed the lunatics at MSNBC and CNN and the New York Times, the Washington Post, just to give them stuff to run with. That is the plan. That is what they are going to do here. And they have no no hesitation about this. I mean, no, no sense that maybe maybe they're dragging the country through the mud in a way that is damaging regardless of what it does for their electoral prospects in 2020. You know, there's no decency from these people. Oh, by the way, you know what came out on this Lisa Page? Remember, Lisa Page, referred to as the paramour of Peter Strzok, the FBI agent who wrote all that terrible stuff, a Trump hater and the chief of counterintelligence at the FBI, very important guy. You know, you see these figures popping up, the Hillary email investigation, the Russia collusion investigation, you know, the same people, the same Hillary-loving, Trump-hating maniacs at key nodes in these different places in the DOJ. Uh, Lisa Page was the woman he was having an affair with. And she testified behind closed doors, the transcript's now been released, that what we've known all along is true. Now we just have confirmation, which is that the Department of Justice was running cover for Hillary on the email thing. And that there was never going to be a circumstance under which Hillary Clinton was prosecuted for violations of the espionage. It didn't matter what they found. It didn't matter how sensitive it was. It didn't matter how egregious, how reckless. Recklessness is in the statute. If what Hillary Clinton did with her, and I had a TS clearance, I know how the regulations go. I know what happens to lower level people. When I was in the CIA, if I had done one one hundredth of what Hillary did, my career would have been over and I would have been begging not to go to prison. That's just the truth. Meanwhile, with Hillary, even though recklessness was in the statute, they said that it didn't count, you know, because it's old and stuff. And the same people at DOJ who were saying that Hillary couldn't get in trouble for an email server that she set up willfully, knowingly, in order to evade transparency requirements. That's all it was. It was shady Hillary. They decided that the Espionage Act, as written, the statute as it is, did not apply to Hillary. These are the same people that sent over FBI investigators to go trap General Flynn based on the Logan Act, which no serious person thinks is a law that could be prosecuted. It's never been prosecuted. People go to prison for the Espionage Act for a long time. No one's been prosecuted on the Logan Act. The same people at DOJ, Loretta Lynch, Sally Yates, James Comey. These are the people that are making these decisions. This is unequal application of the law based on political affiliation. That's what we saw. And it was all the way at the very top. 
and it was trying to influence the future of this country trying to what's what's so ironic about the whole russia collusion investigation is that they accused trump of working with the russians to try to change the change the outcome of the election when in our own country our own department of justice the chief law enforcement mechanism in the united states was we have proof and we know trying to change the result of a presidential election and nobody yet seems to really be willing to hold them to account for it. Be back in just a moment. If anyone in the military or anybody in the intelligence community, including people within the FBI, if they were to leak like that, they would be fired. They would be imprisoned. I mean, it, it, they would be prosecuted. Uh, there were there were dozens and dozens of classified emails that were actually put onto an illegal server that was then destroyed. That was likely picked up by foreign intelligence. God knows what countries actually have these classified emails that Clinton was sending. Uh, but the bottom line is is that she should have been held accountable, and she wasn't. And there was an orchestrated effort, a conspiracy, so to speak, to ensure that she was not prosecuted. That's what Page testified to. Uh, and the fact that she wasn't prosecuted on something that, that rank and file people in the military and intelligence community get prosecuted for is, is unfathomable. But we just found that clip. I don't even know we had that. It's Devin Nunes said exactly what I was telling you, which is, yeah, you know, when I was a little nobody in the CIA, if I had pulled the crap that Hillary pulled, I would be donezo. But she's Hillary Clinton, so hello! She gets to live by a different set of laws. Uh, Hillary laws, Clinton laws. And that's what happened here. And, and we all knew this. And I think that's one of the frustrations. You know, so much of what the Democrats do is speak to all of the rest of us like we're so dumb. Like we just can't understand anything. Uh, and we knew that they were never going to prosecute Hillary Clinton. It was just not going to happen. They weren't going to let it. It didn't matter what she did. They weren't going to let that happen because she was their great hope for a continuation of Obama's policies and breaking the great glass ceiling as the first woman president, all this stuff, right? And people have spent years, decades, propping up this shrill, nasty woman who's not particularly gifted politically whatsoever, but, you know, they just, she has the name and the whole thing. She has the name and that's all that it really took, you know, and a resume that, she was handed because of who her husband was. Let's just call it what it is. Let's just call it what it is. And by the way, Evan Nunes also had some words for the Mueller probe. Play clip 10. The Mueller investigation, it went off the rails a long time ago. Uh, they have zero credibility. They have been looking for two years. They have no evidence of collusion. And look, this would not be complicated to find collusion. Remember, that was the whole story. We were going to find evidence of Trump colluding with the Russians to get dirt on Hillary. Not only did, has that never been proven, we actually have the opposite. We have the opposite is true. It's a fact. The Clinton campaign hired Christopher Steele to go and talk to Russians to get dirt on Trump. That's never been prosecuted. So what in the hell is Mueller doing? I have no idea. This has gone on for two years. I mean, this right, is so some get, kind of joke. $50 million of taxpayer money has been spent. Yeah, so he gets it. I'm glad Nunes understands it. It is off the rails. These challenges, I'm absolutely convinced, will bring out the absolute best in every single one of us. And we have something that almost no other country in the world has. 
We have the single greatest mechanism to call forth the genius of our fellow human beings. This democracy, more than 320 million people strong, can bring the ingenuity, the creativity, the resolve of an entire country. And each one of these challenges can and will be met. But the foundational challenge to get all of this done is to fix our democracy. So we have to like come together and be challenging challengers of addressing all of the the great hope of future and democracy and the people and we will make the democracy Beto is in, my friends. He has launched his 2020 bid, and I have no idea what the heck he was talking about in that little, we have the single greatest mechanism to call forth the genius of our fellow human beings. It can bring the ingenuity, the creativity, the resolve of an entire country. No, democracy is not a mass mobilization for, ing- for, for the ingenuity and the creativity of the entirety of the American people. Democracy is a system by which we pick the people who are given authority by us in our governmental structure and hope that they leave us alone. It's not just like everyone gets to be awesome and is like surrounded with their awesomeness at the same time. Uh, this is kind of a shock to some folks, maybe, that Beto, should we start calling him Robert? This whole Beto thing is just, this is kind of pretentious, right? This is weird, uh, but it makes him seem more interesting. You'll notice a lot of, a lot of Democrat candidates are going by their first names. Tulsi, Beto, Bernie, Hillary, all first, all first namers all of a sudden. But Beto O'Rourke, who's a guy as cultural appropriation but it's not appropriation if you wear like designer jeans and ride a skateboard uh he said not long ago this about running for office play 14 we've heard a lot of people speculate that you and senator cruz may face each other again not in a senate rematch but running for a higher office what are your thoughts on on running for president i don't want to do it i will not do it uh, Amy and I are raising an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 7-year-old. And we've spent the better part of the last two years um, not with each other, missing birthdays and anniversaries and time together. And um, we, we, um, our, our family could not survive more. of. I don't want to do it. I will not do it. Like, totally. Except I, I went to my local ashram and I spoke to my guru and he was like, wait, but like, if you're president, you'll be like super rich and famous, right? Like, so all that family stuff, I was like, forget it. And now I'm going to run. Isn't Beto kind of like an Aaron Sorkin character, like from the West wing, he's an Aaron Sorkin character mixed with a new age yoga instructor. So I just want the country to come together and like unite. And also I need you to breathe deeply and feel your chi and have the chi in the center and make sure that you both uh, push in and out of your diaphragm at the same time. That's like every, every yoga class I've ever taken. They tell me to do things. I'm like, I, I don't get it. What am I pushing into the diaphragm or out of the diaphragm? And how do I push my diaphragm exactly? What, what is this? 
Yeah. Beto. Oh, Mr. Beto. I don't know if you have a stomach for it. So I, I can't I can't tell you that you should do this. I can only tell you you may wish to do this. There's a Vanity Fair profile of Beto that is such a a slobbering love fest. I mean, it is the it is the literary equivalent of a a well a well-oiled foot massage for Beto O'Rourke via Vanity Fair's editorial staff. So if you're up for that, if you if you can handle that, I like when like they pull the toes because like it, sometimes it makes a little pop noise and like it totally releases my stress. Uh, if you can handle it, you should read it because you'll see what we're up against here. Uh, there's some stuff about Beto that I'm I'm obviously gonna have some fun with you because look, you come here, you give me your time. Not only are we doing information and analysis, but it's got to be fun, right? We got to have a good time. Um, but. I think that Beto, I'm being convinced more and more by Democrats that I know who aren't pro-Beto. They're Bernie people, they're Biden people. They think that Beto might actually be a, a real contender. And here's the reason why. They look at Beto and they look at Obama, for example. And you have two guys here with, you know, they're, they're, there's a, a young, hip, charisma aspect of all this. But also, the media is very, very powerful, especially, remember, we think of the power the media has to direct the narrative for all of America, including people like you and me, who know that we are getting a steady dose of left-wing propaganda from the left-wing media, but they still are able to shape a lot of the conversation. They still have a tremendous amount of influence. They still are uh, very much able to set the table for debate. Right. And and to push our thoughts into certain directions, even when you're aware of the propagandistic effect. Imagine if you were somebody who really thought that CNN was honest, for example. You thought that you were just getting the news. You thought that whatever comes out of the media industrial complex is the gospel truth. Then you'd be somebody who, when they tell you Beto is great, when they tell you Beto is the second coming of well, the second coming of Obama, I guess, right? That's really, the, they're saying that Beto is Obama-like and that he is the, the, the guy the country needs right now because he's kind of, you know, he's not particularly aggressive, he's low-key, he's a family man, he's nice, and you know, all, all, all the, they're, they're starting to build this narrative around him, and that narrative will have a lot of resonance, especially in a very crowded field of Democrats, which is just, I, I can't, I work in politics, right? I, I cover this stuff every day. All I'm doing is reading and researching in preparation for this show. And I can't even name all the candidates off the top of my head. I mean, I should probably learn them all at this point, but there's some that I'm like, wait, that person? Who? 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 What? What? Who? What's that? A lot of... There was a little there was a there was a reference there. There was a movie reference. Some of you will get it. Very few of you will get it. Some of you will get it. But Beto is going to have the media totally behind him. They're, they're swooning. I mean, when I say they like Beto, there's really almost a romantic obsession with Beto from political journalists, from the people who write these profiles of an up and coming candidate and all that kind of stuff. There is really a it's abnormal what you're seeing here. It's not just oh he's a Democrat. And he's young. It's and they always say he's Kennedy esque. 
I don't know. Does he really look like a Kennedy? Is that just I feel like Kennedy-esque is what Democrats call Democrat politicians who are white guys who are vague, like like kind of handsome. I, I don't know. Uh, but like Buck, like have you have you seen me with my acoustic guitar and when I'm like singing songs and I'm also in a punk rock band, but there's a sensitive side to me because like Beto's very, he's very emo. He's very sensitive. And like he wants all the greatness of the country to just like be so great, but also wants to like write songs about how he's just friends with your girlfriend. Like he doesn't really want to ask her out, but like maybe he'll ask her out at some point if you're cool with that. But he says they're just friends now. That's right. That's, you know who Beto was in college. He was the guy who, whenever you went to the fraternity party or whatever, he was playing guitar in the corner and talking to your girlfriend. And you're like, what, what, what's this all about? And then when you ask her, you're like, hey, why are you talking to that guy? like, oh, he's just my friend. He just wants to be friends. We're on to you, Beto. We, we know how you roll. So, like, I just wrote this song for you because I felt so emotionally connected from our five-minute conversation while you were waiting in line for the keg. And as long as it doesn't bother your boyfriend, I just want to sing it for you. We really got a real Beto character going on here, by the way. Let's talk about Beto on the issue, shall we? On policy. What does this guy stand for? What is his pathway in the Democratic Party? Is he the real deal? Is he a threat not just to win the primary, but to defeat Trump? We have that and oh so much more. Coming up in just like a second. Stay with me. Well, the current president says he doesn't believe in climate change. Uh, I don't know how many countries are on the face of the planet, 192 muscle metals. Um, how could we, who used to be the indispensable nation, be the only country that has removed itself from any obligation to work with anyone on perhaps the most pressing problem? If you think of our leadership, those who preceded us, right? Those who were on the beaches in Normandy, those who faced an existential threat to Western democracy and our way of life, they showed us the way. We, we can all come together, we can unite, we can marshal the resources, and we can convene the countries of the world around otherwise unsolvable problems. That, that's who we are. That's why they call us the indispensable nation. Well, that moment is now for us on this issue. So if there's a time to reassert global leadership and make friends instead of enemies, it's today because the challenges are too great to do otherwise. Thanks. thanks. To your left. Yes. I mean, Beto just sounds like a high school kid who's giving a, a speech at Model UN and just wants to get a standing O all the time so badly. He's kind of in please clap, please clap mode. Yo, we're just going to like come together like like we did at Normandy, except for climate change. Please clap. Exactly. Man, it's uh, this guy. He's really I mean, cl climate change is a big one for these people. I. I it's just not a it's not easy to have a constructive. It's really not even possible to have a constructive conversation with people who are so crazy. They think the world's going to end in 12 years. Beto, Robert, should we call him Robert? Remember, I'm the guy who it was on the Rush Limbaugh show when I was guest hosting a few years ago. And Rush's team, I remember Mr. Snurdly, he's like, are you are you for real in the break? I said, yeah, I'm for real. Uh, people didn't really know that. Bill de Blasio's real name was Warren Wilhelm. Guten Tag, yeah. Max Schnell. Warren Wilhelm. Auf Deutschland. Uh, 
He changed his name to Bill de Blasio, as we know, because, hey, he was going to vote for Billy de Blasio. Hey, I'm a union guy from Queens. You know, I work for the, the, the 2-5 electrician union in Queens. I vote for Bill de Blasio. You know, it sounds like it sounds like something you do, right? But I'm going to vote for Warren Wilhelm? Who? What? I don't know if that's really something you're going to do. So Warren Wilhelm changed his name. He's very sly, as a Mr. Wilhelm, yeah. So he became Bill de Blasio. Uh, and I remember I said that on the show, and people were like, what? You must be making that up. No, it's true. You can check it out. You can you can look it up. Uh, Beto, I would just note from reading the glowing profile in Vanity Fair. Oh, Beto, so handsome and dreamy. Uh, the glowing profile in Vanity Fair on him. Um, he was called Robert for much of his adult life. So this this whole Beto thing, because I know people can say, Buck, your name is Buck. Well, my middle name is Buckman. You all know this. It's a family name, and everyone's called me Buck since I was a baby. The only people who call me James are the police and the IRS. Uh, but hopefully not people I hear from very often. Um, but Beto is just a, is a kind of an affect. It's not anywhere in his name. It's a Latin nickname for his name, and he's not Latino. So I'm sorry, but this if, if there is such a thing as cultural appropriation, and I know I argue that there is not, but if you argue there is, a white dude named Robert O'Rourke Call it, run around calling himself Beto. Yeah, what if, what if I want to run for office and I was like, just call me Diego. Whatever would be okay with that. I just like I just like to be called Diego. Yeah, or Roberto. There you go. So anyway, he's he's crazy on climate change. Um, wait, did we already play eighteen, John? I got so wrapped up in the. No, I got okay. Yeah, I wanted to play. So this is what he thinks about Clinton. So this is Beto, the new great hope of the Democrats to defeat Trump. Here's what he says about cli- climate change. It's going to kill us all. It's so scary. And perhaps most importantly of all, because our very existence depends on it, we can unleash the ingenuity and creativity of millions of Americans who want to ensure that we squarely confront the challenge of climate change before it's too late. Yeah, I don't know how we're supposed to do that. I don't know what he thinks is really going to happen here. But you notice that there's this, his whole thing is going to be that he's the positivity candidate. He's almost like he's going to turn into the left-wing life coach America never asked for. You can totally do it and achieve your dreams and self-actualize and reach those goals as long as you send me twenty nine ninety nine via cash or check. Uh that's what's that's what I think the path is here for for Beto. But I, I I take seriously that he could be a real candidate in the sense that he may get some real uh, real push. You know, I, I take seriously that this is a guy who look, I mean, he, he, he is appealing. He's got a nice family. He his story from El Paso, his whole Texas thing is, is a pretty good story. He lost to Ted Cruz, but he made it closer than I think a lot of people expected, although not nearly as close as they were pretending it was going to be. And, you know, I just think that we don't know. I mean, any, any you know, and, and I'm going to be the guy who tells you all along because we're going to go into this battle for 2020, folks. We're going to go in this together. Um, but I'm going to be the guy who tells you what I know and what I don't know. And I'll tell you this. Anyone who tells you that they know who's going to win this Democratic primary is lying. Have no, they have no idea. Nobody has, has any idea whatsoever about what's really going to happen here. I mean, you've got Biden and... Bernie at the very, very top 
of the of the polls right now. And people will point out rightly that so you got two old white dudes who are the who are the, the front runners right now for the for the Democrat Party's ticket. At least with Beto, they get somebody who seems a little more hip and with it. I also believe that Biden, if the, Biden is just Hillary 2.0, Biden is the candidate that they're left with when they don't have any other good candidates. And they just figure that the Democrat establishment will carry him on their shoulders. You know, the media, academia, Wall Street, American Bar Association, unions, you know, all these different groups that are all about getting Democrats elected. Uh, they're going to try to make Biden the guy. And I think that they're going to have a lot of difficulty because I don't find him to be particularly compelling. I mean, at least at least Beto is in. He is interesting. I'm not I don't think he knows very much. I don't think he's particularly. Oh, wait, he's worried about our democracy. Uh, Play 16. Amy and I are happy to share with you that I'm running to serve you as the next president of the United States of America. This is a defining moment of truth for this country and for every single one of us. The challenges that we face right now, the interconnected crises in our economy, our democracy, and our climate have never been greater. And they will either consume us or they will afford us the greatest opportunity to unleash the genius of the United States of America. In other words, this moment of peril produces perhaps the greatest moment of promise for this country and for everyone inside of it. We can begin by fixing our democracy and ensuring that our government works for everyone and not just for corporations. That's right. Like all the platitudes and all the stuff that Democrats want to hear, I just jam it into one sentence and then I skateboard off into the sunset while drinking a Zima playing my punk rock guitar. Beto O'Rourke 2020, everybody. Get ready for it. It's a real thing. More coming up. Interesting news item today that conservatives will certainly talk about but i think that the uh, the libs will to no one's surprise i think but uh, they, they will skip past this one pretty quickly southern poverty law center has fired its co-founder morris dees now morris dees was 82 years old and started the Montgomery-based organization back in 1971, folks. I mean, this is like Kentucky Fried Chicken firing the colonel or Ronald McDonald firing Ronald McDonald, I guess. But, I mean, this is, you know, McDonald's firing Ronald McDonald. I mean, this is like the guy who founded the Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, which I would note is, and we'll get into this at in a little more detail, is really now a left-wing attack organization. It is a, a taxpayer-subsidized left-wing PAC that pushes issues and, and goes after people and, in fact, designates groups and individuals who are to be isolated uh, and destroyed, who are to be investigated, who are to be kicked out of the public square, and here's what we know about Mr. Dees right now, 82 years old, kicked out, fired, not allowed to step down, fired from the Southern Poverty Law Center. Here's what, here's what their statement today says. As a civil rights organization, the Southern Poverty Law Center is committed to ensuring that the conduct of our staff reflects the mission of the organization and the values we hope to instill in the world. When one of our own fails to meet those standards, no matter his or her role in the organization, 
We take it seriously and must take appropriate action. Today, we announced a number of immediate concrete steps we're taking, including bringing in an outside organization to conduct a comprehensive assessment of our internal climate and workplace practices to ensure that our talented staff is working in the environment they deserve, one in which all voices are heard and all staff members are respected. Uh, folks, now we don't know quite yet what's going on here, but that certainly sounds a lot like at a minimum, a hostile workplace environment situation. And, you know, I don't know if this is a, if this turns into a me too thing or, but it's bad. It's bad when you have to oust your founder for who's been your founder for decades and have to call in outside investigations to look into all this. Uh, you, you know, this guy, this guy did something, folks. This guy did something. Um, and the Southern Poverty Law Center is, is one of these organizations that it's, it's time we finally understand what this is and take this thing down. Uh, it's, it's time we finally speak truthfully about what their mission is, which is to uh, advance left-wing causes, bash conservatives, destroy Republicans, silence dissenting voices. That is what the Southern Poverty Law Center does. They may, they may do other things. They may do, you know, some good work here and there on the legal side, but, but their most visible, their most visible efforts these days in the media involve pushing left-wing causes. Um, here you go. Family separate. Here, I'm on the Southern Poverty Law Center website right now just to give you a sense. Family separation isn't over. And then also hate groups at an all-time high in 2018. I can tell you this. Every Oh, wow. And they've got, this is astonishing. I didn't even know that we are going to have this before I called. They have hate groups at an all-time high. And you know who's in the photo? They have a collage of hate groups. You know who they have in the photos? Donald Trump. Gavin McGinnis. Stephen Miller, White House advisor. Laura Ingram. Tucker Carlson. Sheriff Joe Arpaio and a bunch of other people who I can't tell who they are right now. That's what they do. They smear people. This is an organization, the Southern Poverty Law Center, that and is very litigious, by the way, likes to sue people, likes to sue people. Uh, but this is an organization that tries to destroy its political opponents and uses its connections to and its origins as a civil rights organization as cover. It's despicable what goes on with the Southern Poverty Law Center. And, and if you think that I'm exaggerating, I mean, just think about this. The Southern Poverty Law Center has listed in the past Ben Shapiro in publications that it has put out on extremism. It has listed uh, Majid Nawaz, who I believe has been paid out a multi-million dollar lawsuit. Uh, yes, Majid Nawaz prevails against the SPLC. That's that's the title here in the Atlantic. And the, Richard Cohen, who is the president of the SPLC, has apologized publicly to Majid Nawaz um, because they declared him 
a former extremist who tries to work against radical Islam, they declared him an extremist because he's going to criticize Islam. So to the SPLC, if you are a Muslim who speaks out about radical Islam, you are in fact an extremist because you're criticizing Islam. You can't make this stuff up. They put Majid in their field guide for anti-Muslim extremists. I know Majid, by the way. He's a good dude. And the SPLC had to pay him $3.375 million and issue a public apology. Good for Majid, man. I need to get the Southern Poverty Law Center to lie about me, man. That's that's good work if you can get it. I, I could use I could use three million dollars. I'll you know, I'll take a cool mill. They can say some mean stuff about me and then apologize publicly and give me a million. I would definitely go for that. Oh, speaking of the money involved here, four hundred and fifty million dollars in net assets, and they have to put that out there publicly because it's a nonprofit, folks. That's right, tax advantaged. You give money to the SPLC and you're in, you know, you're you're in good shape because you can write that off. Civil rights organization. No, notice how civil rights, because we all we all actually do have equivalent rights under the law in this country. In fact, the only non-equivalent rights are in favor of non-white minorities, things like affirmative action, uh, special hiring for women and minorities and Otherwise, the law is, across the board, equal. So th th these civil rights struggles have become not for equality under the law, but for political positions. And that's what they've been advocating for for a long time. But the SPLC is something that I, I remember a long time ago getting to a, a fight with a fellow conservative in the media because I said the SPLC was, back in 2012, a left-wing attack organization. He said that that was uh, not fair and not true. I was right. I won't say who it is because he's not here to defend himself, but I was right and he was wrong. Um, and now we see that Morris Dees, the storied co-founder of the SPLC, has been booted out of this organization. Uh, if I had to guess, I'm going to guess it's a Me Too situation, although I don't know. I do not know. That is a that is a guess, but I'm I'm reading between the lines a little bit here, folks. Hostile environment, hostile workplace. Got to get rid of them real fast. Notice how you also have this, this tendency, uh, this, this uh, grouping of very, very powerful left-wing, celebrated left-wing men who are at the, at the very top echelon of political access and you know, people like Morris Dees, people like Harvey Weinstein, and uh, you know, you look at uh, Charlie Rose and Matt Lauer, and you look at these guys, all in good stead, all in good stead with the Democrat left, and many of them have have devoted a substantial portion of their public life to advancing left-wing ideas, including equality of all people, equality of women, civil rights, civil rights for, for everybody. Uh, you know, the, in the case of Charlie Rose and Matt Lauer, c consistent and reliable peddlers of the left-wing orthodoxy from the various perches that they had in media. Matt Lauer was a $30 million a year man while he was doing it. And we find time and again 
that they are abusing those positions of authority and that they are huge phonies. They are huge frauds. And worse than that, in many cases. I mean, Weinstein is a, is a straight-up predator. And we don't know what Morris Dees is yet, but I think we're going to find out real soon. But here's what I take from this. And I think this is applicable to a lot of liberals you know, a lot of liberals you see out there in the public eye. And I think one of the reasons that so many liberals are obsessed with virtue signaling, one of the reasons that they, and this might be the primary reason for it, to be honest with you. I mean, there's also the benefits of you want people to think well of you, but I think that they doth protest too much. I think that they make these public pronouncements about how much they're all, and, and they want to work for civil rights and they want to work for, because there's a feeling of underlying guilt. Because usually the people that are on the front lines of an issue and that are really just trying to do good are far less concerned with pounding their own chests and talking about how much good they're doing. That's always a sign. That usually people that have positions of power to make positive change are less concerned with getting the credit for it than they are actually doing the good thing, unless it's really all about them. And you see this with liberals on climate change and liberals that, that make a big thing of me too. I mean, I mean, Schneiderman, Eric Schneiderman, the state attorney general, here's another one. Mr. Oh, I am so me too, he said. I am all about protecting women and women's rights and women's equality, except when he was beating his girlfriend. Then he wasn't about those things. Then he was scum. Why make all those speeches about it? Why go to those lengths? Because they're covering, they're compensating for what they know they're really like. I can't tell you what's going on with Morris Dees here, but I can tell you this. A sanctimonious, smug liberal who has been pushing left-wing policy for a long time thinks he can get away with a lot. And it looks like this guy did until now. We'll have more on this. I myself have always been for lowering the, vote, the voting age to 16. I think it's really important to capture kids when they're in high school, when they're interested in all of this, when they're learning about government to be able to vote. That is, that is not necessary. You know, in other words, some of the priorities in this bill are about uh, transparency and openness and accessibility and the rest. Uh, that's a subject of debate. But my view is that uh, I would welcome that. Nancy Pelosi wants to brainwash your kids using the Democrat apparatus of the school system, the media, social media. She wants to she wants to brainwash your kids and get them voting as soon as possible because kids will vote for the party of the cool people and the nice people, which unfortunately, because of their dominance in our culture and in the cultural narrative in this country is the Democratic Party. Who's the party of free stuff? Who doesn't like free stuff? Oh, wow, gee. If I were 15 or... Oh, that's not true. When I was 15 or 16, I was a... Cons I, I've been a conservative for as long as I've been a sentient being, I think. I, I go back a very long... I knew I was a conservative in high school. Uh, I've never been down with the Democrats, ever. It's just never been my thing. I think but I'd probably go back... You're a smart guy. Exactly. Exactly. But Pelosi... There's so much here that's, that's classic Pelosi. One is this... This pretense that she would, that, that she has for a long time wanted to, oh yeah, just all, I ever wanted to lower the voting age 
the 16th for a long time. Uh, no, she has not. All right. I mean, I, you know, this is just nonsense. I'm not even checking her record on this one. Maybe she brought it up once like 20 years ago or something. But this is this is a new thing. And this is part of the Democrats mobilization plan, which involves creating new voters. I, I mean, actually creating them, people that can't vote now. Democrats want to be able to vote. They want illegals to vote. They want teenagers to vote, 16 year olds to vote. Uh, they want convicted felons to vote. This is the strategy. This is their get out the vote effort, which really tells you a lot about where the Democrats' minds are on this stuff. Uh, you know, th these days, increasingly, I find what is the Republican Party? The Republican base married people that attend religious service with jobs who are good to their neighbors, but want people to generally from the government, leave them alone, you know, love America. There you have it. That's pretty much the, you know, which is a lot of people, but that's pretty much the Republican Party. Yeah, some limited government and constitutionalism and all that stuff in there too, for sure. But you know, it's mostly married people or people with families uh, who have a job, pay their bills, are responsible, and don't get into all this, you know, nonsense about the coming revolution and the need to redistribute wealth and all these other things they talk about. Uh, unfortunately, that means that if you're in any identity, any uh, identity group, you know, identity politics is dominated by the Democrats. If you're in any minority group, the overwhelming push on you is to make you a Democrat, right? The, the overwhelming um, pressure is going to be to get you to vote for the Democratic Party. And it's true of teenagers, too. Teenagers who want to be cool. I mean, you know, who does Beyonce vote for? Who does Jay-Z vote for? Who does... Name a celebrity, Leonardo DiCaprio, Mr. Climate Change, flies everywhere in his private jet. Uh, you know, think of a big celebrity other than James Woods, whose Twitter is fierce. Uh, think, think of somebody. If you, don't, if you don't follow James Woods on Twitter, you're missing out. Insta-block. You're, you're missing out. He is a very entertaining fellow. Uh, but they want to make teenagers vote. Pelosi will just, she'll just make stuff up as she goes along. She has no problem doing that, as we all know. And uh, that is certainly part of what is going on here. Um, making 16-year-olds vote is a bizarre idea uh, if you're a reasonable person. If you're somebody that just has a, a need deep within the recesses of his or her uh, soul for power. I remember, when I talk about power, it's always the power to make others do certain things. You know, there are some people who have a need. They, they want that ability to make you do stuff. That's what Democrats, what statists, what the leftists, that's what they, they want to be able to tell you what to do, how to live your life, what to think, what to eat. If you're somebody who just wants to be able to make choices, have liberty, be left alone, you're a conservative now. It's a pretty clear delineation between the two ideologies. We should not be haunted by the specter of being automated out of work, whether it's a tax rate, whether it's uh, distributing wealth that is created by automation. Um, if we talk, if we if we approach 
solutions to our system and start entertaining ideas like that, then we should be excited about automation because what it what it could potentially mean is more time educating ourselves, more time creating art, more time investing and investigating in the sciences, more time focused on invention, more time uh, going to space, more time enjoying the world that we live in. Yeah, that's AOC on on automation. Now, let's let's make sure that we stick we stick with the truth and the facts. It is true that overall automation in time uh, is uh, over the course of time has been useful for people to have more free time. Uh, it is true that we are more productive now as a society because of automation. We are wealthier as a society because of automation. Um, what was really interesting here is that she just she thinks that it gives you more time to create art. Well, that's only if you have somebody paying the bills while you're doing your finger painting. If someone's giving you money so that you can have your little pottery wheel at home. John, you ever done pottery? It's actually pretty cool. We did pottery in my grammar school, and I remember thinking that actually it was it was pretty fun. Uh, and you know, people always. But I, th I think forever there's always that association with the scene from Ghost, you know. So that's whatever people think of a pottery wheel. That's all that comes into their minds. Pretty good movie, by the way. Kind of holds up for what it is. So AOC saying that you're going to have more time to create art is funny. But what's not funny is the prospect of mass, un mass unemployment that could come from this wave of AI. And, you know, this takes you back into a debate that's been around for, well, not that long. It's been around for last hundred and let's say, I don't know, 120 years or so, 130. It depends on how deep in the industrial revolution you want to go. But it definitely takes you back quite a ways to periods in time when just the the, the basics of mechanics and machinery uh, of of engines and combustion engines gave people a lot of concern that they would be out of work. But of course, with greater productivity, there were other jobs and people will be moved to other jobs. I do think it's fair to point out that AI changes things, though. Uh, that one one uh, component of this discussion that did not exist until now is that every machine that we've had has been a labor multiplier, really, for human beings that are a part of the process and that there will always be a need for people to be decision makers in that process. Uh, but AI, at least as it is envisioned for the future, could replace in an information-based economy the human beings that are the decision makers within that information-based economy on in certain ways. You know, I actually don't think that restaurant uh, servers and hosts and hostesses. And, you know, there are some jobs where you want a human being just because you want a human being. I do not want a robot coming up to me saying, would you like cheesy fries? Like, no. I want someone who comes up to me who's like, hey, Buck, love your radio show, man. I'm going to bring you some cheesy fries on the house because that's what happens all the time. You know, so I think that's uh, that's it's a serious concern, though. And people were, were definitely giving AOC a hard time, though, because she's like, yeah, you'll have, like, more time to create art. And, like, it should be exciting for everybody. It, it will. It, let, let me give you an example of the, what I'm talking about here. If Uber manages to do what it's planning to do, 
which is use a neural net and connect. And I know a lot of you who listen, and I always appreciate your message. A lot of you who listen to this show are uh, long haul truckers, uh, people that are in the the long haul trucking and, and, and shipping and just the movement of goods, which is one thing that the green energy folks never understand is that we have no way, even, even if we make some of the changes they want, we can't transport the food from the field to the table to get to people unless we have fossil fuel. It just, it just can't be done. Uh, and anyway, but those of you that are in those fields, that that's a big sector of the economy. And if you have autonomous vehicles, th there will be a big loss of jobs there. I mean, I think there's over, I think there are over a million people in the country right now. I don't know what the exact number is. It's definitely over a million who either drive an Uber, drive a taxi of some kind and are transporting people around. And it's, look, it's an important service. It's part of the service economy. People need that service. They, uh, they have to get to work. They have to get to the store. Those jobs go away. What happens to those million people? Well, you could say, oh, Buck, they'll be absorbed into other jobs. But what if it takes a year or two? What if it takes 10 years? You know, and, and this is where the the sneer of learn to code from journalists has finally been turned back on them because there have been some considerable layoffs in journalism world recently. But you know, learn to code was what you could get kicked off of Twitter for saying to a journalist. I would note that's an interesting, interesting little tidbit. Uh, but the idea that everybody who is currently uh, driving a truck or delivery vehicle or a taxi is going to switch their profession to being a computer coder is absolutely absurd. So there'll be dislocations. There'll be real concerns about this. Uh, but then there's also AOC more broadly just truly making an imbecile of herself. Play clip two. Um, Mr. Sloan, why was the bank involved in the caging of children and financing the caging of children to begin with? Uh, I, I don't know how to answer the, that question because we weren't. Uh, so in finance, you you were... I'm not familiar with the, the specific uh, assertion that you're making, but we weren't directly involved in that. She thinks that the Wells Fargo CEO was somehow involved or his company was involved in the caging of children at the border. Um where she got that is anyone's guess, but it's a it's a bizarre and and really dumb thing to say. Uh, clearly, this guy who does not work for the federal government has nothing to do with caging children, uh, and this is where you know I, I agree with Newt Newt Loot Newt Gingrich on there. You know, you get caught back and forth with AOC. Is she is she a laughing stock or is she a threat? I think she's both, and I try to present that side of her here on the show, those sides of her on the show. Play three. In a normal, healthy society, uh, Alexandria would be seen as this interesting graduate student who had gotten into some college with a good student loan, hung out a lot, did, you know, smoked a little grass, drank a little beer, had a good time, once read half of a book, knows nothing. Uh, and nobody would take her seriously. I mean, in a healthy society, she would be a joke. She doesn't know anything. Her, her views are based on whatever random thought comes in that morning. And her proposals are beyond silly. I mean, she couldn't possibly defend her proposals. Newt is absolutely correct. And it's 
reassuring to hear that, isn't it? But it's also a little unnerving because he's right. In a healthy society, that is how the American people would view this freshman member of Congress. That is what they would think of her proposals, but they don't. So what does that say about where we are? What does that say about the trajectory of politics will be in this country if the left has their way? If someone who is such a know-nothing could become the de facto ideological leader of the Democrat Party overnight, it just tells us the Democratic Party has no real core. It is just a coalition for the pursuit of power that is not conservative, that is not associated with the Republican Party. It, it is everything that the Republican Party is not that wants power. That is the Democratic Party. There's no, there's no real underlying uh, uniting ethos. There's no, you know, the, the principles, things like, you know, a woman's right to choose, redistribution of wealth. These aren't principles. These are just mechanisms to power. And in fact, they're deeply unprincipled. Newt also had some more words about AOC. Play four. You know, I think it might be useful to take up a fund to ask AOC if she'd be willing to go to Venezuela, go to Zimbabwe, visit with people who used to live in the Soviet Union. These are people who operate out of an emotion-led uh, kind of self-righteous passion with no knowledge. The fact is, not only does socialism not work, socialism leads you to a dictatorship, it leads you to powerful people like Maduro stealing. People like AOC Cuba. have no answer. None. You say to her, in fact, they believe in mythology. They think, for example, Cuba's this wonderful paradise, except, of course, most Cubans can't afford to buy a car, and the only cars available were made before 1958. It's all true. It's all true, and yet the libs that I know and the libs that I talk to on a regular basis think that she is some kind of incredible messaging superhero. There's, in fact, an AOC comic book, folks. They really do think she's a messaging superhero. Her superpower is stupidity, but apparently that does not matter. It does not matter that she knows nothing. And these are people that were telling us that Trump isn't intellectually curious enough. These are people that were telling us that we should be ashamed for voting for President Trump, who has been running a multinational corporation for decades, was an incredibly successful TV star and entertainer, you know, has been in the boardroom, has been in negotiations. You know, whether you think he's been great in all of his business dealings or not, or even just mediocre or whatever, at least he's been doing stuff. At least he does know something about something. This woman knows nothing about nothing. And the Democrats turn to her as their guiding light on policy, it is both hilarious and terrifying at the same time. Have you heard, though, that President Trump doesn't want more people coming? And he's even separated families who try to come. She is fleeing because her children were threatened. He said because of violence. One of the most uh, despicable moments in modern American history. I saw kids locked in cages sitting on floors. I will never forget it. The media needs to make sure that the stories you hear at the border are just of crying children. 
That's the only thing you're supposed to hear from them. You're supposed to be told that Trump has uh, locked children in cages and that the Trump administration is evil and, and mean and doing all kinds of awful, awful things, which you're not supposed to know or pay any attention to, is that currently our border is essentially an open border. If you show up with a kid from Central America, you get to come into the United States. You you do pass go, you do collect $200, so to speak. Well, I don't know if you really collect any money, but you do get to come into the United States. The Trump administration is not, or rather, President Trump himself is not to blame for this state of affairs. I don't think that would be fair. But he isn't getting it done either, folks. He's not securing the border effectively. Yes, Congress has to act. Yes, the courts are against Trump. But this needs to be the focus. What's he going to say to those of us who voted for him going into 2020? Yes, the left is crazy, and maybe that's enough. But is he going to be able to convince them that the wall is built, being built? I am hoping to get down to El Paso in a few weeks and I'll be able to bring you a lot of uh, ground truth and do interviews with frontline uh, Border Patrol folks and, and just see for myself what's going on with the detention facilities, with the wall, with everything. This was an interesting story in the last 24 hours that I think, as I like to here, bring it should get more attention, so I'm telling you about it. Homeland Security officials have sent 240 migrants back to Mexico since January under an experimental new policy that requires Central American asylum seekers to wait outside U.S. territory while their asylum claims are processed. The, pro the policy, known as Migrant Protection Protocols, has been expanded in recent days to the Calexico Port of Entry in California, according to Department of Homeland Security officials. A small number of migrants who were arrested for crossing illegally between the U.S. port of entry in San Diego area have been record, uh, returned to Mexico under this migrant protection protocols. So the, the measure allows, in immigration law, allows authorities to send back migrants who arrive through a third country to that foreign territory. Immigrant legal advocates are seeking an injunction in federal court to block MPP, which the Trump administration says is necessary to contend with the recent surge of border crossings. Okay. Why does this matter? Third party safe agreement. That's what this is. You might recall I've spoken to you about that before here on the show. This would be an enormous improvement in the current situation. This would really help take the heat off our Border Patrol and Immigration and Customs Enforcement officers. Here's what it would do. Currently, if you show up at the border, remember you have a kid or you claim credible fear you are brought into processing centers. They make sure that you're not a you know a known terrorist and that you don't have you know the any kind of terrible communicable disease. They feed you, they house you for a day or two, maybe a few more, and then they release you into the American interior. That is what happens. Never to be seen again by U.S. authorities in a vast majority of cases. What this new agreement would do. This Migrant Protection Protocols Agreement would say that, okay, you show up at the border, you want asylum, great. You're going to stay in Mexico. You apply here at a port of entry. 
You apply at an Immigration and Customs Enforcement facility, but you will wait on the Mexico Mexico side of the U.S.-Mexico border until your case is ready for adjudication. Now, what you're going to see, you're already seeing it, is that the, quote, immigration advocates are going to fight this tooth and nail. Why? Because this takes the scam out of it. The whole point of what they're doing at the border now is they're released into the country, essentially on a handshake and a promise and a nod. Hey, you'll come back, right? You'll come back for your hearing. No, actually, they they will not come back for their hearing. They are not going to get asylum, but they're never even going to show up and request asylum. That's that's central to this whole problem. So. These, immig- these so-called immigration advocates, these legal groups, and you know a lot of this is funded by Soros or Soros-like individuals who are pro-open borders, whether they'll say so or not. But when they're at the border, uh, they know that if, if people can't get into the country immediately and they have to respect our legal process, this will, this will effectively shut down this massive loophole if they can implement this program properly. So this should be a, a, a major push from Immigration Enforcement and Customs and Border Patrol. Here's, you know, I come to you and I, I tell you that things are not going well enough at the border and I'm, I'm trying to raise the alarm about this. Here's a way to make it work. People can still apply for asylum. We're, we're not saying you can't get asylum. If you have a real, real reason, you just can't scam the system the same way because you're going to be in Mexico and you're going to show up to a court and when you don't get asylum, you're going to get sent right back across the border. This is a solution to the problem, or at least will help the problem a lot. So I'll continue to follow this, and I'll have more for you on it as it goes along. There's a chance I may catch a bit of uh, heat tomorrow for a column that I have written. I want to give you a little preview of it. it. It somewhat ties into this whole college admissions debacle, all the cheating and the scandals and the payoffs, the bribes. Uh, but this is my own little take on things. And and here's basically where I am on it. Uh, I think that recruiting for college athletics is absurd. I think that it should stop. I think that schools shouldn't do this anymore. And the moment I say this to people, and I know there's probably a lot of people listening to this who are like, Buck, you mess with my college football and we're going to, I'm not saying no college athletics. I'm not saying, you know, shut down. No, I love college sports. I'm just saying, let's stop with this pretense of putting people in schools like UNC Chapel Hill and Stanford who are at a fifth or sixth grade reading level. And we're supposed to treat, we're supposed to act like, you know, they're they're normal students, just like all the other students. And they're getting this great education. And no, they're semi professional athletes. So this is my, my column tomorrow, which will be up on the Hill is we need to stop this athletic recruiting thing because it allows for the exploitation of these young men and women especially young men who are playing sports that the ncaa had a did a billion dollars in revenue last year i mean there's big money here but there's this whole this whole sham this whole scam of the scholar athlete and all this stuff no 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 no. pretty much every school in the country and, and there's a lot of nuance here and some of you i know light me up in the on the facebook comments go for it i you know if you disagree this is fine I'm, I know this is a little bit of a controversial position, but I also know that I'm right on this. Uh, the 
idea that you would have schools bringing in, and these are schools that are taking five, six, seven percent of all applicants, sometimes less, that you would be kicking all, kicking open all these uh, spots for people that not only are are playing in the the big sports, football, basketball, um, you know, depending on the school, it depends on what sports they really value. But for people that you saw this with these these individuals that are uh, you know getting getting into the schools by cheating, oh the crew team pole vaulters, who the heck cares about pole vaulting? I mean, let's be serious. Pole vaulting is something that you see when you're flipping through the channels at 2 a.m. You watch two people do it, and you're like, oh, that's pretty cool, and you're done. Nobody should be getting in to Stanford because they're a pole vaulter. This is ridiculous. Nobody should be getting into Yale or UVA or you name it, UT Austin, because they're on the fe- they're a great fencer. This is just absurd. What we should have are at the top level of NCAA athletics. It should be semi-pro. People, I'm not saying that people can't go into the can't get the education at the school. I'm just saying no, no, they should be paid and brought in and have a special curriculum developed for them. They can still represent the school. But this whole thing of we're just going to recruit people and pretend like they're normal like the rest of the students and this is all just, you know, they're all student athletes. No, they're athlete students at the top level, at the top schools and at the top athletic programs. They're playing all kinds of games with this. And don't even get me started on Division three schools. You know, these smaller schools, these less important athletic programs, they shouldn't be recruiting at all. It's a joke. It is absolutely absurd. Why? We, we really need to make sure that the women's field hockey team is competitive in our conference. Why? Take the students you want to take, have tryouts, and then, you know, you're still going to field great teams at these schools. You're still full of, of athletes. It's just, it's this arms race that undermines the, the basic foundational purpose of the university, which is to educate people. It's not to, you know, fill uh, an 80,000 person stadium with screaming fans and pretend that the people on the field are normal students just like all the rest of the students. That, that's not the purpose of a university. And they have dozens and dozens of these teams and they're recruiting and recruiting and recruiting. It takes up, you want to talk about taking spots away from deserving people. And if you can get in without the sport, then great. That's what I'm saying. You don't need the sport. So why are we recruiting? I know people people get very contentious about this with me. It's going to be up on the hill.com tomorrow. I'll post it on Facebook, but no more college recruiting for athletics the way it currently is. I'm taking a stand on this one. It's absurd, and I think I'm right. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. Time for roll call. Roll call time on a Thursday. Yeah, it's time for the roll call. Oh, yes, fuck the roll call. You didn't know that I had pipes, did you? Oh, I got pipes. I didn't say they were good pipes. I've got pipes. Uh, let's get to it. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Indeed, indeed. And uh, let's see what we have here now. Michael, 
Buck, I would rather not vote for a Republican than vote for a Republican that does things like vote against the national emergency. How about you, Shields High? Michael, I don't have an easy answer here, man. I'm very frustrated by this. It's like I've been saying, Republicans don't want to win. They don't want to win. I don't know how else to put it. I, you know, you, if you really care about something, if you think something is necessary and good and, and moral in many cases, aren't you going to do what you can to get to that place? To use the process? I'm not saying the ends justifies the means, but I'm saying aren't you willing to, to fight along the way to get that thing done that you believe is good and worthy and beneficial and moral and no republicans liked it like a lot of posturing a lot of roosters strutting around well i love the constitution and i am the closest to the founding fathers of any republican you know i don't care which u.s senators have a giant copy of the Constitution over their very fancy desks on Capitol Hill. I don't care if they sleep on bedsheets made of replicas of the Constitution. I want them to enact policy that is good for this country. And yes, is in keeping with the Constitution, but that's where I, I disagree with them. They think they're making some big constitutional stand. I think they're just being foolish statutes say the president can do this the president in the past has done this dozens and dozens of times i think over 50 times and just because congress would not go along with something does not necessarily mean that the president does not have the authority to do it so i i'm with you i am very frustrated uh, but you know they're the same republicans who say oh the president doesn't have the authority under the constitution the same ones who say that on this have no problem with all kinds of presidential findings and and uh, you know presidential orders for military action and all, all kinds of stuff. You know, they, they seem to think that executive authority that is outside of our borders should be essentially unchecked. Uh, you know, it, it should it should be up to the president to fire missiles, declare war, fight wars, all this stuff. The Congress has totally abdicated that responsibility. Oh, but this responsibility, building a fence, folks. That's what we're talking about. Building a fence. Uh, it's too dangerous for the president to have that responsibility. Well, I disagree. Uh, let's see. William writes, I am done with every Republican Party. This is absolutely unfathomable that they do not have a backbone, let alone a pair of something else. Time for a third party. Resurrect the Tea Party as a full-fledged challenge to both parties. This is not going to end well. I'm so concerned for my six children and eight grandchildren. You know, William, I, I agree with you that this is, this is disheartening. Now, let's, let's be clear. It doesn't really mean anything. Right? It doesn't have the force of law. Uh, the president pulled out the veto, and it's just an, it's a, a resolution that means nothing. Uh, it means nothing. But I, I do think that this goes to show you that there are a lot there. There are people within the Republican Party who, when Trump seemed unstoppable, they just wanted to ride the Trump wave. But now that we're getting into election season, you know, they want to kind of hedge their bets a little bit. They're Republican senators. That are waffling a little here. Uh, you know, I, I'm really more concerned about me than about the Trump agenda. And I think we have to keep a very 
close eye on that. I think that's a real phenomenon. Jeremy writes, Hey, Buck, podcast listener in Roswell, New Mexico. Ooh, area 51. The difference between flying with an old school yoke and flying by wire control is that you can better feel what the plane is doing through the yoke. A fly-by-wire is essentially using a computer game joystick to fly the plane. The computer controls the plane by what the pilot does with the joystick. This helps with fatigue, but if there's a problem with the computer, there is no backup. At least with a yoke, you can still control the plane if power is lost. Keep up the great work. Shields high. Jeremy, thank you so much for that. And that's what I was getting at yesterday. That there are, you know, the people who are making fun of the president. And I spoke to an aviation security, a world-renowned aviation security expert today uh, at the Hill about this. And, and he said that it's, it's absolutely the case that some of the basic flying, basic pilot skills uh, can get rusty and can be also thrown off. Of, can get rusty because of the complexity of these systems and also can throw you off in an emergency because you are completely relying on computers. You know, what you really have now are near autonomous airplanes. Well, if you have an autonomous airplane and all of a sudden the circuits have an issue, you need to be able to have a pilot who says, all right, I'm in the cockpit, I'm in control. I'm in control. And I think this is always going to be an issue with autonomous cars as well. People are going to want to have the option of saying, all right, things are getting weird in this car. It's, you know, going side to side at 80 miles an hour. I, I want, you know, human control now. I think you're going to have to always have that. And I know I know that exists in planes, but the systems in place can be uh, counterproductive to that uh, to that effort. Rick writes, good news, Buck. Dan Crenshaw's parents are American. Parents were living abroad when he was born. Sixth generation. OK, OK, OK. So. So he is a natural-born citizen of two U.S. citizen parents, is what you're saying. All right. All right. That's uh, not, 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 now, we're, now we're talking. Now we're talking. Um, that is good news. Gina, or is it Gianna? Hey, Buck, I heard you uh, say on yesterday's show you were all in for Dan Crenshaw until you found out he wasn't born here. I went into his bio and indicated he was born to American parents in Scotland. Depending on the circumstances, wouldn't that be similar to Ted Cruz, who was born in Canada? Love your analysis every day, sir. Well, Gina, clearly that is uh, what we were just talking about a second ago. And yes, that would be similar to Ted Cruz, although I don't believe Ted Cruz's parents were U.S. citizens. Um, I think one of them was and one of them. Now, don't quote me on this, folks. I don't know everything, although I'm a radio host, so I'm supposed to pretend, right? A lot of the radio hosts do. And they know a lot less than me, which is always kind of funny. But uh, don't quote me on this one. We have to check this one out. But there is some dispute about this. Ann Coulter was throwing a lot of shade toward Ted Cruz, saying that he constitutionally does not have the pathway to run for the presidency. She's like, I'm sorry, not a natural born citizen under the founders interpretation. All right. Now we have... Wow, another one on Crenshaw. Okay, okay, we get it. Yes, his parents were citizens. Thank you, thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Jason, Buck, how can we break the left from using these protesters uh, as a political weapon to destroy their political enemies? A protesters' office as a political weapon, rather. Is it going to take the prosecution of Hillary Clinton? 
or another of their top people to break them of this dangerous game they're playing. Buck, how can we? Oh, same question here. Uh, I don't know how we break them from doing it. I don't know how we get them to stop doing this. I, I wish I had a, a ready answer for you. I, I think that the, you know, the left is the party of the state. And so they're always going to be comfortable abusing the mechanisms of the state for their own political ends. That's just the way it is. So we aren't in turn going to become much more comfortable statists in our own right, because that's not how we are. That's not who we are. But if you're a bureaucrat, there's a very good chance that you are in the federal bureaucracy. You are somebody who is likely to be a Democrat. I think it was over 90 percent of federal bureaucrat donations uh, went to Hillary Clinton in the last election. It was a stunning number, a stunning number. How do we get them to stop doing this? Well, I will say that there's some degree of, you know, there's some degree of maybe we need to make them live under the rules that we live under, too. And I'm, I'm all for that now with the free speech wars. We do not bend. We do not apologize. We do not consume our own. We do not turn on our own people. You apologize if your own honor or integrity demanded. I'm not saying never apologize. I'm saying you don't apologize because the mob tells you to. All of us will say things and do things, not just people in media. All of us say things that we don't mean, that went too far. And, and, a, and a good person, an honorable person, apologizes when he or she is wrong. But I'm not going to apologize because, you know, we hate conservatives. We hate conservatives. Nope. Sorry. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Got to draw the line. That's why I've been so happy. Uh, so happy that that Tucker has been standing strong on this issue. Um, and and it, it has real ramifications for the rest of us. The generation of of conservatives, uh, you know, a, a generation below Tucker. It means a lot that he's not getting snapped in half by this clear, underhanded assault on him. Scott writes, hey, Buck, uh, am I alone when I think the only reason the FBI arrested these celebrities with guns drawn and a quarter million dollar bail is simply because the elites that run these high end schools are angry these people short circuited the usual method of getting their subpar children into prestigious colleges. You used to have to donate a wing of a library or convince a dean that a bronze of their likeness would look perfect in the middle of the quad. Keep it real and shields high, Scott. Um, Scott, the answer is yes. I think you are correct. The answer is yes. A lot of people are so upset about this because they don't accept that there can be any other ways to short circuit the system. The elites like their pathways into these schools and people that are just below them, they're not allowed to do this. Team, we've got more coming up tomorrow. Looking forward to talking to you for a Freestyle Friday. Shields high.